So Alan, we'll see you now. Take a seat. Thank you, my liege. My lord. What is it? It's the jacket, isn't it? The tweed's too much. No, I'm a lord. Oh, phew. Well, thanks. Guess it's done the trick then. Got it specially. Might be an idiot. May I say how excited I am to be considered for this opportunity? You may, but what makes you think you're right fit for the job? I know the environment. I love the environment. Right. La naturaleza, el medio ambiente. Also, speak Spanish as well. Go on. I adapt and evolve to meet new challenges. Is that so? I'm a great believer in survival of the fittest. Oh yes, Charles Dickens. What a wise man he was. Darwin, Charles Darwin. Yeah, him too. All the Charlie D's. Look, I don't want to beat around the bush. Like I said, love the environment. And I don't mean to blow my own trumpet. Blow away. Toot toot. Here's the thing. I can mutate to complete any task. I'm like a... a... Virus. I was going to say chameleon, but sure, yours works too. I hear you're a bit of a loose water cannon. An individualist. Individualist? I'm a team player. I played triangle in the school orchestra. Do you know how humiliating that is? We need more than a tinkling team player here. More than a team player? Indeed, much more. Someone who is willing to subsume their needs to the needs of the company, like an organ in a body. Metaphorically? Literally. I don't quite follow. We don't need followers. Good, I'm a leader. We don't need those either. Then what do you need? A fixer. For a steamroller. 10 tonnes of tarmac and some next-level CCTV. But you run a wildlife sanctuary. We're pivoting to car parks. I've done the maths and there's more money servicing peasants than pheasants. My lord! Hmm, so your comprehension isn't so bad after all? What about the great variety of life that will be lost? Come now, cars come in all shapes and sizes. But they're not alive. Not alive yet, but we take a long-term view. And anyway, we don't discriminate. I won't stand for it. I'll protest! Chain myself to the trees. Well, it looks like I'll be setting the seam roller to autopilot at this rate. Not sure it can distinguish between people and trees. You monster. You barbarous. I think we're done here. I can see you don't want the job. Well, well, can I work from home? No. Medical cover? No. Does it have a salary? It is a paid position, yeah. Minimum wage. Done. I'll take it. Well, you can't have it. But I haven't even introduced myself. You think that'll change anything? Well, it might, because I'm not actually a shape-shifting interviewee. I'm Ben. I co-host a gaming podcast. That's exactly why the job's off the table. I'm not a car park executive. I'm Teo. I'm your co-host on the gaming podcast. So you are. And this is... Pixel Vision. Nice. Right, well, are you ready to start the pod? Because I've got a little... Well, yeah, go on. What's the... What have you got? What have you got for me? Teo sat there in front of his camera and he looked into the screen at his co-host, Ben, who was on the other side of the Zoom call. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, that was a good impression. Who am I, Tay? Who am I? Well, you're the you're the narrator of the Eternal Cylinder, the game that we've been playing. The wet-mouthed narrator. Yeah, the very. I didn't look him up. Did you look him up? <laughs> no, I didn't. He did sound recognisable, though. Should we quickly look him up so we sound knowledgeable? Yeah, look him up quickly. I'm saying he's from like a children's TV show, like maybe like The Night Garden, or like could even be Teletubbies. Did Teletubbies have a narrator? Pretty sure it did. Lala thought Dipsy's hat was too small. Dipsy hat. <laughs> too small. 
Uh-oh. I think it might be the same guy who voiced the Stanley Parable. Ah, okay. Well, not a children's show. Is that possible? Yeah, it's possible. He was also in Void Bastards. Oh, yeah, of course. He's the computer, isn't he? It looks like you are in need of another client care package. Peter Hayden. It's not the same guy as Stanley Parable or Void Bastards. Oh, okay. Oh, don't really recognise anything he's ever done. <laughs> He was in Power Rangers Ninja Steel as Mick's dad in 2017. <laughs> Interestingly, he was uh, he was also in Power Rangers Dino Charge a year earlier, but not as Mick's dad, as Jack-O-Lantern Judge. I genuinely, I don't recognise anything that he's done here. The Broken Wood Mysteries, that's a TV show. And New Zealand Midsummer Murders, it's dubbed as on IMDb. <laughs> Well, this is a bit of a non-starter. <laughs> what is the role of the narrator, Teo? And what is the game as well, we should say? It's the eternal cylinder. And the role of the narrator is literally... To tell the story, yeah. But it is a specialist role in the sense that whereas a normal narrator might just chip in every now and again, mm. this narrator... It's more like he's voicing an audiobook, right? Once upon a time, in the age of the Eternal Cylinder, there lived a family of little creatures called the Trepper. Because he voices every single character, voices the thoughts in your head. What was this strange being? Half flesh, half metal? The Trebum felt an old, distant horror, as if they remembered their own destruction. Absolutely. It's like he's doing a Stephen Fry on Harry Potter. And then his eyes fell on the flute Hagrid had given him for Christmas. He pocketed it to use on Fluffy. Harry, however, pocketed it. Mr Diggory handed Harry his wand and Harry pocketed it. Who pocketed it? Harry pocketed it. He pocketed it with a wink. Yeah, but nowhere near as sort of interestingly. No, it's true. I mean, there isn't really dialogue for any of the characters, is there? He's narrating the events that happen as they happen. No, but there is dialogue, but when there is dialogue, he doesn't change voice. He doesn't, like, put on a different voice to impersonate how different Trebums might speak. Is there dialogue? Yeah, definitely. Oh, okay. The Trebum asked how they might survive the cylinder, and the Elder replied, I can feel your fear, little one. But I feel like we need a quick straight jump in or maybe reaction you gotta do reactions we've got a format now okay all right all right okay we shall not stray from it oh jesus we've like dug ourselves a furrow and now we're stuck in it (laughs) i knew we should have been more freewheeling from day dot (laughs) go on give us your reaction what did you think because it's been a while since you finished this game and you still don't know if i finished it so you go first I did enjoy it. Mm. Uh, wait, okay. I sort of enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed the start of it, and I definitely enjoyed the first three or four hours of gameplay, mm. at which point I sort of felt I was starting to see everything that it had to offer, and there wasn't quite enough diversity in the environments or in the narration. The questions that the plot was raising didn't really suit me. Like, they weren't necessarily the questions I was asking, and the answers when they came weren't very fulfilling either. I don't know, I wanted to like it a lot more than I actually did like it. What about you? Mm. 
yeah, I enjoyed it. I appreciated it for what it was trying to do. Like, it threw a lot of ideas into the pot, I think. Oh, that is so condescending, though, isn't it? What do you mean? Well, it's just the worst thing we can say about something. Is like, I appreciate what you're trying to do. It's like patting the loser of a race on the head and being like, it's all about the trying, son. Well, basically, for me, it needed to be a slightly different game. A different game to the game that it was. I wouldn't have necessarily enjoyed it anymore if it was this imaginary game, which it wasn't. But <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll, st- <laughs> I'll stick to my guns on it. I do think it was trying to do too much and it was innovative in lots of ways. But yeah, it didn't quite succeed. But it was fun. Like, I definitely enjoyed it. I'm glad it didn't last longer than it did. It sounded like I might have completed it a little bit quicker than you. I think you definitely did, yeah. And I've revealed there that I did finish it. But it only took me like maybe 12 and a half hours. Whereas How Long To Be, I think, puts it at about 16. So Yeah, and it actually took me... Longer than that again, I think, because, well, we'll get onto it, but I had bugs and all sorts. We'll get onto it. All right. Well, the game could literally be anything at this point because people listening know nothing other than it's called The Eternal Cylinder. (laughs) So I'll tell us a little bit about it. It's, I would say, a third-person adventure game where you play as these little creatures called the Trevon, and you control a tribe of them, so you can switch between all your little Trevon. They're like tiny little elephants that can mutate to have different skills depending on the stuff that they eat. But the weird sort of hook of the game, or mechanic, is that you're in a world which is being steamrolled by a giant, what looks to be a metal cylinder. It's absolutely massive, like way bigger than you. You can't jump over it, blah, blah, blah. And it's rolling along and it gets stuck at these towers. So you're basically sort of sprinting from tower to tower with your little tribe of Trebum. And every time you get to the tower, it stops. And every time you move far enough away from the tower, it starts rolling again, this cylinder. So yeah, you move through the environment like this and the objective of the game is to sort of uncover the mystery of the cylinder and ultimately to save your tribe. Yeah, you do that by evolving. Did you mention that? Yeah, I mentioned the evolving. So yeah, like every area, like you might be gated from progressing until you've done a certain task. And to complete that task, you might have to eat a certain berry or something, which can give you, say you need to inflate to lift yourself up on a on a geezer or something like that. Then you have to like crack open a nut, eat it, lift yourself up on the geezer, find out the thing you do, and then the story will progress. First of all, Elephants? You think they look like little elephants? Other well, than the trunk. Trunks. Yeah, the trunk is the only thing. Other than that, they're like frogs, I think. They're definitely frogs. Or right, elephant frogs. Especially when you get the like stretchy leg. What do they call them? Per mutations? Is it just called a mutation? Yeah, yeah, they're called mutations. Yeah. They're bipedal little creatures, but they've got just little bodies and then a trunk. I mean, I said little elephants because there isn't another animal that has a trunk, is it? Mm, well, I'd fuck, but that'd be <laughs> You got me. <laughs> The damn aardvark, I forgot about that. It's more of a snoot, isn't it? More of a sort of long nose, the aardvark. Yeah, it's a little bit trunk-like. Yeah, it's a trunk. No, yeah, no, I think, I think you're right, it's a bit trunk. And the anteater. Now that definitely is a nose. I'm, you're not, I'm not. <laughs> <that much. laughs> All right, well, anyway, what did you make of this whole storytelling device of being impelled by the cylinder behind you, but that 
for some reason gets thwarted at these towers every now and again. Mm. What did you make of that as a sort of way of setting your pace as the gamer? It's mysterious, isn't it? Because you kind of get the impression that, well, things definitely weren't always like this. The world wasn't always this way with this giant cylinder destroying everything in its path. And so the narrator acts as the sort of voice of your genetic memories, which you don't seem to have any way of expressing yourself, but that's why the narrator's there. So you kind of get the feeling that there was a civilization before you, perhaps a Trevon civilization that built these towers, but you're just kind of like one little leftover Trevon who's just plunged into this scenario and you're not really sure why. Sort of, but you can be any of the Trevon, right? So it's like, in yeah, yeah. theory, you're one of them, but like you can change which one you're controlling at any given point. Yeah. And if the one you were controlling just dies, well, that doesn't matter, that's fine. You're like basically a hive mind, aren't you? Well, mm, I wouldn't say you're a hive mind because one of the really big themes that it sets up is how like every Trevon is different and unique. Whereas the cylinder is just like an homogenous cylinder that wants to make everything the same. So like sameness versus difference is definitely a big opposition in it and the Trevor for difference. The narrator even says it at the start. This is not the story of the one, it's the story of the many. The many are with their variety, blah, blah, blah. But you sort of are a hive mind though, aren't you? <laughs> I, I understand the point you're making and the narrator makes, but in practice, you start out as a Trebum, as you say, a single Trebum, and the narrator's like, Run, something inside him said, run. And so you run, because you hear a great noise and it's scary, and so you run, and then you find another Trebum. At that point, you can be either Trebum, but the narrator always talks as if it's a collective, isn't it? Mm. And then if your starting Trebum dies, it makes no difference to the story or to your unlocks or anything like that. So that sounds to me more like a hive mind. Mm. Yeah. The only sort of independent difference is that you can mutate separately. But, I mean, isn't that just like having limbs of a being? Like, you can open a hand or close a hand or, like, wear a shoe or not wear a shoe. <laughs> yeah, sure. I would say this is more of a meta constraint as a single-player game than it is a reflection on, like, the theme that it's trying to express, though. Like, sure, if you wanted to take it to its ultimate conclusion, you'd have many players controlling many Trevor and working together but at that point it's a very different kind of game isn't it? Oh that would have been a lot more of an interesting game I think mm. <laughs> Yeah but I don't know if anyone would ever get around to playing that game because it might be difficult to Yeah possibly although I mean when you think of a game like Left 4 Dead which I did not anticipate referencing <laughs> during this part <laughs> that's kind of demands a four player setup and people do yeah. it and Rainbow Six Siege and all that those are big team games that require X number of players and find them Yeah it's true and I mean to be honest World of Warcraft with instancing and whatever else you're finding yeah. 40 players I definitely think it would be conceivably possible to do yeah, yeah, for sure. And I agree, that probably would have conveyed the idea that they were going for a little bit better than this does as a single-player game. Well, and being a much more exciting game, because part of the many frustrations that I found with this game is that you are having to jump between the Trebums quite a lot, because some of them have mutations that others don't, or mm. one of them's died, and so you no longer have that one, so you have to jump to a different one or whatever. Mm. And just switching between them and knowing at a glance which Trebums got what, mutations and all that kind of stuff is a pain mm. in a way that if you were playing multiplayer you would have a chat box and you'd be like right we need inflatable body man here <laughs> or like jumpy legs or whatever you're yeah actually that would be quite an interesting game 
Yeah, it would be, because that's one of the things which I hinted at at the start, is that there's a lot going on with the mutations. Like, there's loads of different mutations you can get. But in practice, the puzzle solving throughout the game is you have a challenge, you have to get a certain mutation, you get it, you, you solve the challenge. It's like A, B, A, B, A, B, like all the way through, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's never, oh, this combination of these mutations with your entire team, they have to work together to solve the challenge. Never really does that. Whereas if it were a multiplayer game like you're talking about, the interaction between those mutations could have a lot more variety, which doesn't actually happen in the course of the single player. And I also think that the sense of discovery, because the game gives you a sense of discovery in that you are sort of trial and erroring mutations to begin with. I think that's a bit generous in a way because it steers you a little bit towards what you need to be doing and when, and it's not as opaque as that sounds. Mm. But you are sort of trial and erroring it. Like you find a new thing, you think, I've never seen this before, I'll eat it and see what it does. And then your little Mm. trebum like squats down and smoke comes out of its ears and it jiggles a bit, pops. And suddenly you've got a new mutation. And that's quite cool when you first do that the first few times, there is an element of discovery with that. But after those first few times, it becomes far more mundane. You reach an obstacle that requires a specific mutation to pass, you search for it, acquire it, use it, and then you move on. Mm. You may as well be finding a key, because mutations don't really have wider gameplay implications, although, like, obviously you might use them again in the future. Yeah, you're just kind of discovering them one by one, and, like, maybe there's a point to them and maybe there isn't. Because there's a survival element to the game, we should say, like, you've got a hunger meter, you've got a water meter as well, which affects your energy which affects how long you can roll for, which is like the fastest mode of transport for you to get away from the cylinder. And so these mutations, as well as solving puzzles to progress the game, are also a way for you to simply survive in the environment that you're in. What's annoying is the sense of discovery about the environment comes from eating stuff fine, being introduced to new biomes and new creatures one at a time. But the sense of discovery about the plot very much does not come from that. It comes from the narrator basically telling you a new thing after each tower. Your spoon-fed story, basically. The Trebum were disoriented for a moment. Something new had entered their memories and they needed to make sense of it. It seemed to be a map. And on this map, a location had been marked. And so the pacing that those towers force upon you Rather than this, the idea, like when you sold this game to me, and I don't mean to put it all on your shoulders, Taylor, but when you sold this game to me, it was like this cylinder's constantly rolling towards you. It's the eternal cylinder. Like it even sounds like it rolls eternally. Like it's not going to stop, but it does it really slowly. And I had the vision that basically my job would be to always be ahead of it. And it would roll slowly, sure, but I would constantly just, a bit like, you know, in a battle royale game, when the cylinders, not the cylinder, the dome, the play area is shrinking constantly. I thought in that similar vein, you would have to stay like one step ahead of this rolling cylinder. And instead, presumably because that would be quite difficult to implement, they put these towers up that forcibly stop the cylinder. But not only do the towers stop the cylinder, they also kind of impose upon you these like landmarks in the progress of the game where like, this is the section you're gonna learn about this, or this is the section you're gonna find out about whatever. And the way you usually find out about those things, infuriatingly, in my view, is the narrator says something like, 
and from your memory, the Trebum recognized this symbol. An ancient memory came to light in their mind and they remembered and you're like, oh, fuck off. You literally just, all you're doing is giving me the bits of information. I'm not discovering, it's not like an Outer Wilds where I find something and I'm actually having to piece it together myself. It's almost like you trip one of those auto-firing cutscenes, you know, when you're like an RPG and like, I don't know, you cross an invisible barrier and then something happens. It's a bit like that. You dare to attack me here. Do you even know whom you face? We know of your treachery, Irenicus. Where have you taken our brethren? I agree. It, it doesn't quite support the player discovery in the way which you would kind of hope it would, I suppose. Because there are things which don't put the plot forward and like things you can do in the environment, different creatures you can interact with, different things you can eat and that kind of thing, which which are for you. But yeah, it's definitely not focused on that for the game. And that's certainly not how you push the plot forward. And the survival traits that you referenced previously, I mean, what are they really there for? They're kind of there to give you an additional gameplay element, but they're definitely not core to pursuing the plot, I wouldn't say. Yeah. And one of the reasons I think I completed it quickly is because I kind of realized that a lot of the things I was doing, like stockpiling certain resources in my inventory going down all the little underground areas to like collect the gems so that i could upgrade my trebum at all the shrines i kind of felt like mm, actually i can quite easily progress and move forward without doing any of that stuff and i think if you went into it with that attitude from the start like i'm glad i didn't it was fun to explore the world but ultimately if you just did in order all the things that you needed to do you could race through this game so so fast mm. Well, so so what happened? <laughs> skip to the end. That sort of is what I ended up having to do because I ended up getting some really fucking weird bug. The, to the game's told in chapters. Chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, or is it parts? Parts or chapters, whatever. Each one is kind of a new biome. So there's like the infected biome, there's the frozen biome, the desert one. Yeah, yeah. And I was what felt like I was quite close to the end. I think it was chapter three or chapter four or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then the game just like restarted me right back at the beginning and because of the save profile what well i thought it was on purpose because it said it had like a line of dialogue that went with it like and the trebum realized they would be fated to do this again and again and again or something like that it was something weird like that that made me think because this game was originally in early access that i'd reached the furthest point that prior to being released as a full game that you could get to in early access and then it'd like loop the story or something like that maybe because when i googled it afterwards like surely other people have hit this i didn't find anything about it no one complained of the same thing and i thought oh well maybe this is actually part of the game maybe i am doomed and this time i have to figure out a different route or something like that so i treated it almost like a roguelite where i was like playing through again but this time with more advantages but i was doing the exact same areas meeting the same elders who are the guys that are in the Trebum caves and then it reached a certain point where basically before you can proceed to the next area the gating that Teo talked about is like a red zone that won't let you penetrate it until it turns blue mm. and I just came up on a red zone and I just couldn't penetrate it there was literally nothing I could do there was like no story 
movements that I could take that would unlock it. So you got to that bit once and then it repeated and then you got it to again? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Really? What I ended up having to do is exactly what you just said, which is you can choose, the game lets you jump to a chapter from like create a new game, but from like a specific chapter. Yeah. And so I just had to create a new game, but from the closest chapter that I'd got to in my first playthrough, I lost all my trebums, all my stockpiled stuff, everything. And then I was so pissed off that I just was like, right, I'm going plot after plot after plot. And I just smashed through it and I got through it really quickly then. But I also think the game deceives you a little bit in that route because whether or not that had happened to me, I still think I'd have been irritated that in each new zone, you want to explore. Like it's a procedurally generated environment. So kind of No Man's Sky vibe. You feel like you can go more or less anywhere, but there's not anything really there. Like we've, we've done this before. Everything that is there that's worth looking at appears on the map, on your little mini map. Mm. And then there's nothing else there. So like Teo did, I'm assuming, you can pretty much go straight to those things, get what you need, and then move into the next area. Yeah, yeah, it's sparse for sure. Like they're the little caves that I, that I talked about, but you're kind of exploring a bit like in Astroneer. Um, I was excited to explore a new biome and see the new creatures because you're really small, but some of the creatures are absolutely massive. You know, like there'll be like giant birds, which will like pick you up and put them in their nest. And there's another creature which is part of the story progression, which you have to like be sucked up by with a certain mutation. And then you can live in its sort of toxic <laughs> stomach to get another mutation and stuff. I mean, that probably makes it sound a little bit more interesting than it actually is. <laughs> yeah, it is. Because that same sort of uh, thing appeared in Subnautica, right? Where you could get sucked up by that sort of massive living whale thing and then harvest its interior and then swim out again. Mm. So yeah, I definitely don't think the ideas were necessarily original, but it was still interesting to do in the game. Yeah, but like you say, basically when it, when you get to each new area, like it might as well be levels, there's probably like one or two new things to see, at least initially anyway. And then once you've seen them, you can kind of move on, but you don't really know when you're allowed to do that or not, or when you sh should or you shouldn't. And that's why I talked about realizing that I didn't have to stockpile because it does encourage stockpiling, I feel like this game. Like it gives you a really limited inventory. Yeah, it gives you a storage mutation, doesn't it? Because your Trebum can only hold, I think, three, uh, no, six things, is it? Or three things or something? Three. Yeah, it's just three. Yeah, just three items. But then you can find a certain kind of fish that has this like really big storage yeah. body. And if you eat that, then it lets you hold six items. So I would always like have two or three Trebums that would just eat that so that I could store loads of stuff. Yeah. And that's how I started, the same as you suggested. And that felt rewarding. What's annoying is that that felt rewarding and worthwhile, but then you realise it isn't. And so... It, suddenly feels hollow like you've been conned yeah like it's cool to have this sort of team of trebum each of who has different mutations and that you like turn to in different environments like you've got your one which has got all the amphibious mutations which you use for crossing the water or one that's got like a horn trunk which can scare away other creatures and this kind of thing or a filter to get through toxic gas yeah although it's actually quite generous with those mutations because there's certain mutations like hardy skin for resisting the hotness or the filter trunk like you say where as long as if one of your trebum has them then all the others will have them as well so that you can all move through the toxic gas at the same time i've mind i've mind <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> nah i mean it, it is true i also think that that is a quality of life element that you would yeah, need yeah. I imagine how annoying it would be if every time you found a trebum you would have to because actually don't get me started but there was one little moment where 
basically you keep encountering these trebum structures that are like mm. pyramids a little bit like the ones in Astroneer actually yeah they are the sort of vaguely humanistic structures they're also a bit like I mean the puzzles in them are fairly trivial really but they're a little bit like the Zelda shrines aren't they in Breath of the Wild Yeah, exactly. Kind of just a fairly simplistic maze that you need to use your mutations to solve. Yeah. But usually it's really obvious how to solve them because just in case you haven't got the mutations, it leaves you all the things you need to eat to get those mutations to progress. Yeah. But yeah, so you go into these places and they, they all have different interiors and some of them are quite stark. One of them's in pitch darkness, quite like that one, where you find like a bioluminescent mutation mm. and it illuminates your little guys so you can work your way through this pitch darkness that was quite cool but then there's this other one which was like a lava like a volcano mm. and you go in there and it's really hot and there's like lava streams everywhere again like the first time you see them you're like this is cool there's a lot going on like you're figuring out the puzzle of how you can like blow fire from your trunk and set fire to this sort of ivy on the walls and it, it explodes these like growths there's quite a lot of interesting things going on but my little trebum tribe just fucking throwing themselves in the lava left right and center i'm like stop doing that <laughs> just stay on the edge yeah because there's some jump puzzles we have to jump through the lava yeah and you can't tell your trebum to stay still you can't like manually leave them outside the cave you just have to hope that their pathfinding is safe yeah and it never is <laughs> yeah so the game does let you save and, and reload thankfully but the classic instances of this is when you're running away from the cylinder and it gets really fast. Like if you're not well ahead of it, it's going to crush you. But always your your little tribe is following along behind the one that you're controlling. And so, so often, like if you just make it, then they'll all get crushed <laughs> and, you'll, and you'll just be left alone at the new. But at that point, you're always loading the game, aren't you? So. If you leave it now, you'll take away the biggest part. Yeah, you are. I actually think that's worth talking about because on the one hand, I think it's good because of the incidents we've just described where it's like stuff that's outside of your control and you're like, oh, fuck it, I'm going to reload. But then I'm kind of like, well, just make it so that doesn't happen in the first place because how much better would it be if you really valued your Trebum and if you lost one between checkpoints, you lost it. Like, it mm. died. And you had to you had to find another. Because the whole way through the game, you're discovering Trebum. You can, like, provide gifts or, like, offerings to these sort of Trebum shrines to get them out. Yeah. Or just straight up find new ones and stuff lying around. Hatch eggs. And so you can find quite a lot. But once you've got four or five, you don't really need any more. And so if the game forced death on you, I think that actually might have been... And this is kind of coming from me, you know, I'm not normally someone who's like, yeah, make it more punishing. But I felt like that would have worked for the sort of nature of the game. Yeah, because it does make you want to care about them. So it lets you give them unique names so you can name all of them when they arrive, which is quite nice. So I named them after all, all of our friends. Did like you? I had a little Ben there. You were a little blue Trevor. I hope I survived to the end. Oh, yeah, you did. You did. Maybe you got crushed right at the end <laughs> i can't remember like in the final scene so close but so far <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you were like my cuboid trebum with a third eye to seek out different resources was it the analytical eye or was it the one that went like elevated above your head and gave you far sight? i think it was that one yeah it's nice that you called all yours after friends 
I called mine all rhyming with Ippy or Appy. So they were like Dippy, Slappy, Slippy, Grippy, Flippy. <laughs> yeah, that was quite cool. fun. But it did mean that remembering which had which was a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, because I did definitely use it as a bit of an aid for that because um well i mean there's a huge posse by the end i must have had like 12 trebum or something in my gang by the time we got to the end yeah way more than that i'd have thought mate although you weren't doing the whole explorer thing were you? yeah well i mean i was exploring quite a lot just sort of the last few chapters i definitely was a bit more workmanlike about it but that did actually work to make me care more about them and it does want you to care about them but you can resurrect them as well so on top of the saving and loading which is really generous you can also resurrect them at any time for hardly any of the game's currency, which is these sort of generals. Yeah. So really, like you say, death doesn't really matter. It plays into your hive mind critique a little bit. Yeah, and also you can upload them to the cloud where it's like not specified what the cloud is. Yeah, that was kind of a, that was an odd pun to stick in there, wasn't it? Yeah, Didn't you? really weird. Then the other thing I wanted to say about saving is that you can't save manually in multiple save slots. It's always chronological. So you save, when you next save, it saves like a new one. And so you've got probably seven or eight slots, fine. Yeah. But you save frequently. So that's probably only the last 20 minutes of gameplay kind of thing. And for me, that was too much because I'd started the new playthrough, assumed it was right. So I couldn't be like, oh, I'll load up a whole different save slot, you know, like you could in Resident Evil or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Pain in the ass on that front. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's loads of stuff we still haven't talked about. So on top of the cylinder, the cylinder isn't your only foe. The cylinder has sort of agents, which are quite like twisted, amalgamated things of what it seems to be like the civilizations that the cylinder has amassed and destroyed over its time. So you don't, you never really find out where it comes from. But Is this your theory, Taylor? Because I didn't really get no. it. What, what do you mean? The civilizations that it's amassed and destroyed? That's definitely true. So the biggest enemy is called the Mathematician, who's like this giant human-like creature, but who has just a sort of like car for a head or something like this. Like it's a weird sort of techno creature. Yeah. And then there's one point where he, you get sucked up into that and you have these sort of visions within the cylinder at those points the narrator becomes a character rather than the narrator so he talks about how his civilization was like subsumed by the cylinder which you're assuming as humanity right yeah which you're definitely assuming as humanity because you can see his shadow who's definitely a human and obviously we can understand him so it's a bit sort of meta but yeah it definitely explains that that's like the point of the cylinder I didn't really think it necessarily explained it quite so clearly as you seem to think it did. Really? I got that it was kind of an abstract, you know, it had been rolling for millennia, eternally as it were, and crushing stuff. But I didn't necessarily understand that the agents, the evil agents that it sent out with like lights on their heads were relics from those civilizations. Hmm. Well, that, yeah. I mean, maybe that's my interpretation okay but it's just (laughs) but it definitely seems that way little concession there listeners maybe (laughs) that's my interpretation but I'd say it's heavily implied heavily heavily implied because the whole deal the whole philosophical deal with the cylinder is that it believes that it's better for like the universe if there is just like one thing that exists that like nothing exists apart from the cylinder like that's the cylinder's project whereas the trebum like we said at the start, a more like, ooh, difference. Come one, come all, creatures of the universe. Everybody's welcome, shapes and sizes. We're so glad to see so many of you lovely people here tonight. We would especially like to welcome all the representatives.
representative of the Illinois law enforcement community who have chosen to join us here in the Palace Hotel Ballroom at this time. We certainly hope you all enjoy the show. And remember, people, that no matter who you are and what you do to live, thrive, and survive, there's still some things that make us all the same. You, me, them, everybody. Wow, this everybody. is interesting, because I kind of didn't... I mean, I definitely get that's the Trebon vibe of like, yay, many shapes, sizes, everyone welcome. We all just want to go on living and doing our thing, for sure. But the rolling of the cylinder, I sort of just understood it to be metaphorical rather than because it is a cylinder that literally just wants to flatten stuff and that's its project and it employs little agents to help it on its way. <laughs> that's why I thought it was a bit silly. It's because you've got what should just be a metaphor. And it's made very literal <laughs> in a way which doesn't really make any sense. Like the bleed between literal and metaphorical in this game is just like too silly, really, isn't it? Yeah. Well, part of the reason for that is that the enemies that you confront are all, as Terry said, like based around technology. But it's a very sort of industrial futurist techno, like clocks, cogs. Mm. I'm trying to think of of other mechanical elements that kind of made it up. Kind of like lighthouses. Yeah, exactly. And like spliced limbs and things like that. I want to say it's kind of a little bit like some of the stuff in A Razor Head or like David Lynch's work. But also, have you seen any films by David Cronenberg? No. He just did one recently, actually, which is really, really fucked up. That's some tree of sex, isn't it? Is it? Uh-huh. <laughs> the new sex it's all quite like twisted but the point is it seems to be mm. at least how i understood it to be is that like the inevitable drive of the cylinder is technology is like the technological drive of the cylinder it's like mm. turning creatures into like faceless screens or like mm. getting rid of their hands and just replacing it with wheels and stuff like this it's this sort of conflation between life and technology and technology is like the deadening force that's coming along behind mm. literally a steamroller and you represent life and are running around sort of trying to escape it mm. that's kind of how i understood it i didn't necessarily think it like anything beyond metaphorical mm. i mean you say you didn't think beyond the metaphorical but all that stuff you talked about was literally in the game like i agree like there's a technological vibe to it but it's more like it's harnessing that for its own ends isn't it it's just using whatever it can to fulfill its aim of making sure there's nothing left but the cylinder it's pragmatic isn't it in its goal and i guess that's why some of the like why the existence for instance of the towers that you roll through and illuminate and then they stop the cylinder mm. is a problem in and of itself because like why are these towers even here like what are the towers within this metaphor do you know what i mean <laughs> there are so many gameplay elements where it's like does this work within the little metaphor you're trying to spin <laughs> well no but this is where it's like the literal story of the game isn't it it seems as if the trebum have kind of prepared a little bit for the coming of the cylinder and so they've built these towers as a, a form of defence in the hope that it will delay the cylinder long enough for parts of the Trebum civilization to succeed in escaping it or stopping it or whatever it is. That's my interpretation. Like, that's definitely not clearly told. I mean, it's definitely generous, but it probably works. 
I mean, I, I'd like to argue that if they're so advanced that and ahead of the wheel that they're literally leaving stumbling blocks for it way behind, then what am I chasing behind trying to resurrect them for? <laughs> well, yeah, because you kind of get the impression that a lot's been lost as well. It's like you've had this cataclysmic event and although some of the safeguards remain, a lot of the intelligence which put together the plan in the first place has been lost. I mean, it makes sense if your civilization is based on just sort of like leaving these random eggs around and people from your civilization like hatching willy-nilly all over the world. Because your main ally, the Trawala, who are this sort of like giant serpent-like creature, I love it when we sort of bring in extra elements like this. Yeah, just giant serpent-like creature comes out from the sky. <laughs> yeah, we've never mentioned enough until now. <laughs> They're like your main ally in the game. They're the sort of Ouroboros mythical snake thing, aren't they? Yeah, for sure. They eventually have a voice, the only other voice that isn't the narrators, I think, in the whole game. Who calls for us in this time of darkness? Who has learned the ancient song? Have our old friends remembered us? And they help you along, but they basically tell you, like, you're a spacefaring race. You sung up into the stars and we answered and we were all the better for it. So this is, like, why the bond between our people is so strong. And then they also say, oh, but we weren't the only persons to hear. Like, it also caught the attention of the cylinder. So you kind of imagine this sort of, like, space tussle going on, don't you? Yeah, although maybe it's just because I was so unhappy with the plot on that literal level (laughs) that I was just constantly craving a metaphorical depth to it. So I kind of thought if the cylinder represents technology and the endless like kind of drive forwards of technology and also science, because like he is the mathematician, right? Coming behind. So like science and technology. Instead, you've got this sort of mythical creature that descends from space that you appeal to when you need help, but also needs you. And also at the end, there's this big fight sequence between the mathematician and this big snake thing. And I was definitely like, okay, so the snake represents faith and is like the deity and is arguably represents religion in this game. That was the only way I could make sense of it. But at the same time, it kind of falls apart once you understand the snake to be God, because then it's like... Yeah, no, that definitely doesn't work. (laughs) I don't think, anyway. Like, at the beginning, it definitely feels like that. Like, they feel like a celestial being. But then, as the game moves towards its conclusion, you actually realise that, no, although you're small, you're on the same level as that creature. And I think it goes to quite a lot of lengths to point out that difference. Like, yeah, this giant snake is absolutely massive, and you're, like, a little tiny creature, but you're both the same. Like, you're both worth the same. Right. But then in that case, do you have a sort of metaphor or framework under which all the components do actually work? Because (laughs) otherwise, is is it just a fucking surrealist, weird game that makes no sense? (laughs) Because if it's leaning that way, I'm like, (laughs) get me out of here. It's definitely a bit of that. It's definitely a bit of that. (laughs) It definitely wants to be surrealist and stuff. And it's like, it's a massive hodgepodge of different ideas and stuff going on in here in this the key thing is definitely a preference for sort of natural in inverted commas natural evolution and like kind of organic wholesome nature versus twisted technology like that is definitely like a big thing yeah but also maybe like just straight up humans versus animals because like all the villains have mm. legs and walk like humans. Oh yeah, surely like a climate change me- metaphor going on here. 
surely. What's the climate change? <laughs> well, you've got, you've got. I love that this pod's just descended into like me clutching at metaphorical straws, and you just offering me some. Like, not really thought them through. But what about this one? Nah, oh, that that it's low hanging fruit. I mean, it's an almost literal steamroller, which is turning the planet into a desert and you're the lively natural beings which are trying to prevent that like you do get to see behind the cylinder by the way so you, you know it's just like a rocky landscape yeah yeah spoiler alert post hoc you already spoiled the get you said about the end scene already so i thought we were past it uh, all right okay well we didn't also say that when the evil things shine their light on you they actually de-evolve you yeah yeah so one of the reasons there's this sort of not a talent tree but like obviously as you unlock the mutations there's kind of this graph or this map star chart yeah i guess something like that anyway if you manage to unlock them in that in that sort of chart then they're permanent Mm, yes and at that point you can just mutate at will which is a quality of life thing because there'll be various scenes where there's loads of these little lantern creatures like trying to put their spotlight on you and so it's kind of annoying if you get caught all your mutations are gone and then you've got to gather the materials again to get them all back whereas that means you can just really quickly get them back Mm. and each one requires some different ingredients to unlock but again this was a kind of gameplay element where it's kind of like eh, you don't really need it the things you need to mutate are in abundance and so I think you could happily complete the game just ignoring that mutation tree. Yeah. What do you think on the quality of life issues thing? Like, obviously, one of the things is that you can mutate a will. Fine. But also, Mm. knowing what mutations each Trebum has. Like I said, I made the stupid mistake. Actually, it's not. in my defense, it's not stupid at the start of the game to come up with a fun naming scheme, not realizing that that's going to be your only basis for selecting... (laughs) Almost said Zumbinis there, because they're a little bit like that yeah. as well. <laughs> and so they lived happily on Zumbini Isle, making small, useful products which were prized the world over. The Zumbinis had a sense of fulfillment and inner peace, not to mention healthy bank accounts. I mean, they are all different colours and have different patterns on them and, so, and then start to look different, obviously, if they have different mutations. The thing from, that I found was just you kind of hold, I was playing with controller, you hold RB to swap between them and you can kind of like skip them by like pointing to the one that you want to select. But sometimes you have to cycle through them lots to get to the one you want and often you'll miss it. Yeah, and sometimes they're just not there because they're, they're meant to like catch you up, but often they don't. And you're like, where the fuck is that Trevor? And it's like, I don't know, trapped in graphics somewhere. Yeah, it actually reminded me of that really old game called Creatures, which I think was an early Peter Molyneux game, or at least he was involved in it in some way. It had really good AI for the time anyway. Um, and the vibe of it kind of reminded me of that, but the AI was worse than this AI, which they had sort of 20 years ago or something. Was that game Creatures pre-Spore then? Yeah, it was pre-Spore. Because that's the other game that this has a lot of sort of comparisons, I guess just from the evolution aspect, right? Yeah, and I was expecting it to be a bit more like Spore actually, but a bit more free-roaming and just focused on the planet, whereas Spore, you go through all the different stages of evolution up to like the space age and then it kind of becomes a different game at each stage but yeah there is a bit in sport which is quite a lot like this 
the other stuff I found annoying about choosing the Trevor was like sometimes when you've got loads, like you said you reckon you had 12 or 13 by the end of the game, but you can level up in those caves and unlock 10 or 11 in your party at any one time. Yeah, yeah. And so like, even if they are gathered around you and you're doing the little thumbstick swapper like Teo was describing a minute ago, that can be taken quite a long time. Yeah. Was how much easier if you could just open the inventory screen and then select a Trevor? to be in control of. Yeah, yeah. Like, that stuff, fucking away. Also, the compendium. <laughs> you start the game, you've got a compendium, and you think as you unlock things in the world, it populates your compendium, which it sort of does, but it's so vague. It just doesn't really tell you anything about them. It doesn't tell you what the mm. mutation it gives. It doesn't tell you what it looks like or where it grows, other than, like, in the savannah. And you're like, yeah, great. Yeah. Like, can we get a bit more specific than that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the companion literally didn't use it. I thought it was junk. I, I just <laughs> I just relied on my own memory of what each thing did to get by. But that's a shame, because if it had been more specific, aside from the fact it would have made actually finding things a lot easier. Like, when you start, especially towards the end of the game like you're trying to get a permanent unlock of one of the mutations and you need like i don't know four of this specific kind of herb and it only grows in a cave on a shelf or whatever mm. unless you know that unless you remembered it you turn to your compendium to be like where can i find that thing and it's like it is a blue plant with fluff on it <laughs> and you're like okay <laughs> great mm. and then you turn to google which we've talked about again like some games like don't starve astronia or whatever you think yeah maybe that's part of the gameplay but it shouldn't be you've built a compendium into your game use it <laughs> yeah yeah it's a shame it's a shame what about aiming or on quality of life issues oh yeah so oh you we haven't even talked. so you've got your trunks you can squirt up water you squirt water at things and then you can also like shoot out things so you can get the sort of like mixer body where you mix together different ingredients and like shoot out little exploding things i mean it's just it's just quite straightforward stuff isn't it like the scenes where it forces you to fight it's just a mashup isn't it they're terrible but part of the reason they're terrible is because there isn't a reticle on screen right like you can't aim very precisely you kind of just it's just centering your trunk spray on (laughs) so what i'm just imagining a urinal right now Uh (laughs) but it's centering your trunk spray in the middle of the screen and so you've just kind of got a hope that where you're looking is precisely at the thing you're trying to hit whether that's Mm. a crystal growing on a roof or whether it's these like paddles that turn a boat that get you across a waterway or whatever and again it's one of those things where it's like this is fine but why not just give me a tiny little reticle Mm. and then I can very specifically and accurately spray I hadn't actually thought of that somehow. I just accepted the complete impreciseness of it all, mainly because it's never that taxing, is it? You can get up close to it and just spam it, and most things die pretty quickly. Less about the killing, though, and more about the harvesting crystals. But again, you don't really need to do that, do you? Like, It's quite funny when you spray your water because all of the Trebons in your party, they all start spraying at the same spot as well. And it's like, it was that's not necessary, guys. Like, stand down, stand down. I've got this. Especially if one of them's got the acid mutation. So instead, it's just like this mix of elements being hurled at the wall. And you're like, after one crystal that was just beyond arm's reach, trunk reach. Yeah, one crystal which you want to put in the kind of mineral processor body so that you can get more gems to 
get the upgrades that you don't particularly need. Yeah, exactly. So on upgrades, you can upgrade your stamina, which I think makes you be able to roll for longer. You can upgrade yeah. your stomach so that you don't go hungry as quickly. Mm -hmm. You can upgrade your water supplies so you can spray that water we just discussed at greater length. <laughs> Number of trebums in your party, health. yeah, your health, how much damage you can take. That's it. This is the thing, though, isn't it? As we've come up against so many times on this podcast, is like, why are you doing a lot of these things? Mm -hmm. Most of the time, you don't need any of those upgrades. When you die, if you lose health, you can just reload. Water refills so effortlessly. Food is everywhere. Yeah, yeah. There's no abundant, actual yeah. need to accrue the crystals, which is so time-consuming if you do start to do it, as I did. <laughs> sucker me jeez <laughs> yeah no i love collecting the crystals to process into gem rods as well like i'm a sucker for it but didn't you feel like a muggins when you realized you didn't have to and you'd spent hours doing it well imagine you're the new copper on the job and they don't really want you there and they're like oh here's a really important job can you go and scour this 10 hours of cctv footage and you're like yeah yeah and then you go away and you feel like you're being really really useful and I just realized I'm mid-banalogy by accident. <laughs> you feel like you're being really, really useful. And then you get back and they're like, yeah, yeah, I, I got the guy already, actually. There were some witnesses. And you're like, what? Do you know what I mean? It's a bit like that. You expend so much enthusiastic energy to find all these crystals and sort of unlock them. Sometimes you have to solve a puzzle to get to a little stash of them and stuff. Mm. You don't fucking need them the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a kick in the teeth. But I enjoyed it for as long as I was doing it. And then when I realized I didn't need to do it, I stopped doing it. Right. Wiser than I. <laughs> that was my strategy. <laughs> Unless it was a particularly big crystal and then I just couldn't help myself. Oh, yeah, because some of your characters have this... Um, you can get a mutation that digests crystals. Yeah, that's the mineral processor. Yeah, so you throw them in there and they just over time. And the ones that take longest, you know, are going to give you the most, yeah, yeah. most bang for your crystal buck. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, should we get onto the story a little bit more? But I actually think we've covered it. So do we just want to talk about the ending? It's a pretty bizarre ending, I think. Your plan to escape the cylinders, to resurrect one of the ancient Trebum floating palaces. <laughs> It's not a palace. It's a, it just couldn't be any further from being a palace. It's a platform. <laughs> Floating platform. Yeah, it's like kind of like a crystal hovercraft. Yeah. <laughs> it's a platform. Floating platform. Then right at the very last minute, so the, in the end, the Trawala, those giant serpents that we were talking about, help you up onto it. When you get there, you're like, huh, is this it? But then the mathematician, that giant beast that I talked about before, like manages to get up on there and this is like a final fight scene where you're whacking him down. Even though you already killed him once. Yeah, even though you already killed him once by like aiming a sort of mirror light laser thing at him. But the ending, so, so the narrator basically says like, oh, the cylinder has realized now at this point that you've won and therefore it's flawed and then it starts to kind of flagellate itself doesn't it self-flagellation the mathematician rather than being angry at you he's now angry at the cylinder or well he is the cylinder part of it so it's angry at itself and then he's like bashing away his hands sort of meld into it a bit like the molten person in the terminator and then the, the cylinder cracks and stops for good and then you get a little scene at the end where you just see Trebon playing in the world and that's the end which is very outer wilds that scene yeah where, yeah where it's panning past them all yeah and they're all like dancing and celebrating and playing music
with all their different mutations. But yeah, a bizarre ending. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought it was whack, to <laughs> was be honest. I thought the whole plot was whack. That's what's annoying. And I blame the procedural generation for that, as I often do. Because it's like, when you are procedurally generating worlds, you can't really have the worlds be the thing that unwrap the story. No. Instead, you need the narrator to be like, this thing is pushing the story along. And as soon as this knowledge had entered their minds, the Trebum realized that there was a great library of information hidden away in the web of their memories. Or you need to have a tiny little set piece that you have designed within that massive world, in this case, the little shrines. Yeah. When you're limited to that form of storytelling because you've decided to just have a big sprawling landscape that you don't need to explore with procedural generation, I don't know, shoot yourself in the foot, I think, as a game designer. Mm, oh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> Lovely. What a way to round it out. But I did enjoy it, and I wouldn't recommend it, but I did enjoy it. Also wouldn't recommend it, but would probably recommend maybe like a demo of it. Play for 20 minutes to an hour. Although actually, I wouldn't even recommend that. Actually, I'm, I'm taking it back. I wouldn't recommend that, because if you did that, you might be <laughs> lulled into the false sense that you are going to enjoy it, because the first 20 minutes are actually quite cool, and the first hour, maybe, even, is quite fun. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly you'll realise it's really repetitious and tedious, and you're like, ah, should have listened to Ben when he said, don't play the demo. <laughs> <laughs> did you notice as well the, the serious Hobbit overtones towards the end? where the narrator's like, even the smallest people can achieve the greatest things, like slip, even like slip through the cracks. And there's some sort of Eye of Sauron by. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's the Eye of Sauron. With the lights as well. Honestly, I thought some of the lines could have been straight out of The Hobbit or The, or the Lord of the Rings. But Trebum are loyal and resourceful and very, very stubborn. For me, I think that's just that it was so desperate to be a morality tale, but didn't really have a tale to tell. So instead it just threw in some sound bites. Hmm. Yeah, fair. To be fair to it, like it is pretty different. Like, I've never played a game like that. It's such a hodgepodge, so much stuff going on. <laughs> such a mess is what you're facing. <laughs> such a mess. Such a hot mess of a game. <laughs> I have but never was... played <laughs> such a hot mess. And for that, <laughs> I give it credit. Yeah, exactly. It's an original hot mess. All right, well, that's it. We won't go on eternally about it. Wee! Look at Teo with the jokes. About time they showed up, mate. We're an hour into the pod. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> What's next? We are playing... Citizen Sleeper. Very good. Really, really looking forward to this one. It's kind of like a story... Is it a bit of management in there as well? Is it not? No. I couldn't say. I haven't... I haven't opened it yet. <laughs> oh, I said I'd never lie to the listeners, didn't I? I've completed it. It's really good. You're going to love next week's. <laughs> oh, cool. Wow, what a trailer. Have you actually not started it yet, Tay? No, no. I only finished this one yesterday. Oh, mate. I do think you're going to really enjoy uh, Citizen Sleeper, but I don't want to, like, cool. jinx it or whatever. Or jump the gun. Nice. Let's wrap it. Six, just a hard one to sort of gale. Gales. You're right. You're right, Tao. Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm all right. <laughs>